Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to the very latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to check us out today. Now, a really interesting conversation today and a slightly different one to what we usually do here on the show. I'm very pleased to tell you that my guest today, my very special guest today, is the wonderful Cary Grant, who I'm sure you will know from Fame Academy and various other TV shows which involve singing and performing. She's like the greatest vocal coach we have, and she's, of course, married to David Grant. Now, this is quite a deep dive into Kerry's family life because she has four phenomenal children, all of whom are fascinating characters, different ages, three biological children and a, and a young boy who they adopted from a very early age. And quite a lot of the themes in today's show involve certain different neurological conditions like ADHD and so on, uh, and autism, etc., because she has lived with a, a spectrum of, of children with a range of different... Uh, diagnoses for, for, for different things and they all sound absolutely fascinating and affirming but I came to it in a position of ignorance because I, I, I am here to learn and she of course lives with it and, and is able to explain so after a few minutes we start talking about family life and, and the fascinating wonderful characteristics of her of her children who all sound remarkable and really interesting. So this is a, a really interesting listen, I think. It was a very interesting conversation. It was a conversation that was longer than I was expecting and and really deep. And Carrie was just wonderful at sharing her experience and sharing her, her family life and the insights into, into, into what they deal with every day. And it sounds really interesting and different and varied. So like I said, a slightly different listen, but I, I really hope you'll give it your time. Thank you very much for your company. I really do appreciate it. I can tell you that next week we'll be joined by Frankie Bridge. Frankie from the Saturdays. I'm really looking forward to talking to her. And we've got masses and masses of celebrities lined up for the weeks ahead as well. Really exciting times as we uh, as we see out summer and head into autumn. We've got some really amazing names. But this one is a really different and very, very interesting conversation. I, I felt like a spectator during this chat. I, I found myself watching and listening to the conversation as well as obviously being in it. it really it had me absolutely absolutely fascinated so i hope really hope you enjoy it thank you so much for your company um love you to spread the word about the show if you'd be so kind and to give us a nice five star rating if that's something you'd be prepared to do but for now i will uh, uh, i will just get on with the chat shall i thank you so much here is Carrie Grant. The Andy J Podcast. My next guest this week, you'll know, is one of Britain's best vocal coaches, known for her role on Fame Academy, Pop Idol, and many more, with an MBE to her name and the voice of an angel, leading to being the United Kingdom's Eurovision entry in 1983. I'm delighted to say, joining me, it's Carrie Grant. How are you doing, Carrie? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm thrilled we're chatting. Carrie, is, is, is the whole Eurovision thing a bit of a blast from the past? Is it a bit like, wow, okay, we're going all the way back there, are we? 
Well, it's really interesting because back in 83, when we came six, it felt like it was the worst thing on earth. We felt like we were so ashamed. <laughs> and we came back from Germany and we were like, oh gosh, we're so sorry we lost and we only got six. And now, I mean, it, it feels like it's akin to winning. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd snap <laughs> like, your hand off for six. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a result now, right? It would be more than a result. It would be, I mean, that would be like the best we've done for decades, wouldn't it? I know. I know. But at the time, you know, we've, we've got to remember back in the day, there was really, there were so few, well, there, was, there were still loads of countries, but, you know, realistically it was only ever going to be between about five or six countries that produced these amazing songs that were Eurovision type songs um so at the time it was like six that's terrible wow wow isn't it amazing how time changes everything it really does yes it's very forgiving fortunately <laughs> but you're so right it doesn't I mean six is amazing you know yes anyway what can you do yeah it's a, it's a bizarre old world I tell you what mine sixth now no chance we could have the greatest song in the world yeah There's but everyone no hates way. us now you have to remember that exactly we're not we're just not liked we're anything above we're not popular last. Yeah. <laughs> bottom three yeah standard that'll do yeah 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 if we get points we feel like we've won these days <laughs> Because you're on the, is, am I right in saying you you joined the jury for Eurovision as well? Yeah, I've done the jury. I've done jury service. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> um, it's really funny because you sit in a room and you're not allowed to make eye contact with any of the other judges. Oh wow! So yeah, everyone has to do like this head down thing because you're not allowed to influence one another. And um, and then you know by about five songs in, you know someone will start tapping their foot, and it's like you know a producer will lean over and say, "Could you stop tapping your foot?" You know, because it shows that you might like the song and you're influencing the rest of the jury. Crikey! Yeah, that I mean, that's, yeah, that's mad. Why not? Just, yeah, it was really mad. Why not just do it in separate rooms? You know, that's just that's weird. Yeah, ex- I mean, these days we'd just do it from home, wouldn't we? Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> gone, on the, gone for days of the luxuries of all meeting in one room and <laughs> trying to separate you. Yeah. Just send me some tapes and I'll get back to exactly. you. <laughs> exactly. Tapes. That. Tapes. God, how old am I? Have you still got a cassette player at home, Carrie? <laughs> I think I have somewhere, actually. I've certainly got a lot of cassettes. <laughs> all your old demos and all, I mean, somewhere in all of the tapes, we most of us have got a a recording of Top of the Pops that we used to get off the radio. Yeah. Do you remember yep. doing that? We used to tape it off the radio and then sometimes my brother would put his own presenting in. He so wanted to be a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're so right. Somewhere I have got a tape recording of Zoe Ball's last ever breakfast show on BBC Radio 1. Wow. Now, when would that be? Oh, That's going back years. Like a long, 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 long time. It's dating me, Carrie. I'm, I'm Yeah. <laughs> But I thought she was great. And I can remember being gutted she was leaving the breakfast show. So I recorded the final one. What a strange thing to do now. That's really oh, odd. Sally's an amazing presenter. Like, just I just remember the very early stuff that she did thinking, wowzer, this, this girl is really good. Yeah. Yeah, she she broke on the scene. Now, Carrie, I mean, obviously we've we've touched on Eurovision, but you weren't alone on that stage, were you? In fact, you were stood next to somebody who has been quite a massive part of your life for a very long time. Was I? Go on. <laughs> well, that being your hubby. Not in Eurovision. Was it not? I thought you did it together. No, 
No, he was having hit records on his own then. Oh, I didn't wow. even meet him till 86. I mean, wow. that would have been fun, but no. That, do you know what? That's me. There's my research gone right out the window, hasn't it? Because I, <laughs> I had a whole string of what, you know, backstage, useless. Well, maybe, no, I think, I think maybe you needed to that. do it with him. Then you wouldn't have got sixth. You would have done better. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, this is how we salvage your interview is that we say, <laughs> this, is a, this is a prophetic word that David and I are going to be representing Eurovision in years to come. Now yeah, that, there you that go. That would be something. You heard it that first here. So- <laughs> 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 well, because you're, the, the dynamic between the two of you, I've thought about this uh, for absolutely ages. So I, I'll, I'll share a little story with you, Kerry, if you don't mind. On. So one of yeah. the, one of my early gigs in my in my professional career was, was doing yeah. some continuity announcing, which meant that for ITV, which meant that I would see loads of the shows before they'd go out and also kind of stuff on ITV too and so on. And so with Pop yeah. Idol, I would see all of those extra episodes that would go on ITV2, which, which was effectively yeah. you and David working together with the young acts. And It was amazing, yeah. And I, so I kind of got to know the two of you really quite intimately. It felt very personal watching oh, the two of you work yeah. with these guys. And I didn't realise at the time, I didn't know you were together. I was just like, there is a vibe with these two. Wow, they're inspiring. Uh, that- they're, so funny. It's it's so funny because obviously we did Pop Idol and then we went on to do Fame Academy where we were both judges. So it was really high profile. Yeah. And still, still people, even today, will say, are you guys married? You're like, where have you been? Yes. <laughs> but back then, of course, no one no one really knew. You're absolutely right. And David and I have worked together almost from the, from the, the moment we met, really, back in 86. I was singing on his uh, albums that he was making back then. So... We've got a, kind of got a history of always singing together, and, and we just work really well together. He's he's a great person. He's a great person to be around. It's not really me, I have to say. It really is him. Well, that's very generous. I wonder if he. I, I'd love this to be the case, Kerry, because this really salvages it. I wonder if he saw your performance on Eurovision, and it had you wow. in the back of your mind. And then he was like, three years later, I want that girl that didn't quite win. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's let's get her on the vocals. Yeah, exactly. Like I really need a six place Eurovision person <laughs> on my album. That's what it's calling for. <laughs> it's, it's what we need. Mind you, I mean, you smashed it, didn't you? You had a MOBO album together that, that won we the, did. a gospel album that won a MOBO. What, 98? That was in 98. Yeah, yeah. we did. That was really amazing. And and these are, the, you know, there are some things that you do in life that you're really intentional about and you're like, this is what I'm planning. But with that album, basically my father had gone to be, my, my dad was a real interesting character. He was a bit like the Arthur Daly of the missionary world. So he was a, he didn't really like Christians very much and, and he was quite racist. And then he had a bit of a Damascus Road experience and he became a Christian. He went to be a missionary in Sierra Leone and he died out there of, of malaria in 96. And I really felt like I really want to mark this moment and how extraordinary my dad's life turned out to be. So we made this album kind of just, it was really just a very personal project. And then it went and won a MOBO award. So it's, it's just great when things like that happen because it was really not planned. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's a terrific album. I mean, there's, there's something about gospel music as well. I've, I've been trying to teach my kids this recently because we, we're not from a religious household on any level, but I find yeah. some of the gospel songs are just so uplifting oh, yeah. and glorious. And you don't have to have any belief to love the tunes, do you? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's just that there's something, you know, all of us have a sense of something bigger normally, whether that we see that within ourselves or outside. So 
it's something that in, in gospel music that just connects. And I think it's also, it's not necessarily even, the, it is the words, but it's also just the way it's sung. The way it's sung is glorious. Like you say, that word is such a good word. It truly is glorious. All those voices. And, and the great thing is you can just join in with it. It doesn't matter whether you're a great singer or not. You just blend in with whatever's going on. Which yeah. Is great. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm a very good at hiding in amongst many voices. That's that's my thing. You are the glue of the choir. <laughs> I'm the it's an important uh, role. It's I'm, an important role for you. <laughs> I'm the bez of the gospel unit. <laughs> 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 just just keep people flowing and hope for the best. That's the yeah. let the talent go to the front. There we go. That's my theory. <laughs> that's, that's what I always <laughs> like to do. But I have been amazed because. You're in David's relationship. You've been married for a very, very long time. You have four children. Yeah. You have a business together. You record together. You do yeah. coaching together. I mean, it's lucky you get on, isn't it? It really is lucky we get on. Can you imagine? I mean, it, David and I uh, do sort of, we do disagree with one another. I always think if people say, oh, I've been with my partner for like 10 years, we've never had an argument. I just think, well, one of you must have kept very quiet. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or you, yeah so you get to 11 yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly that. So I think David and I, we, yeah, we do bicker. Um, and we're, we're both very passionate people. So sometimes we're like, no, it has to be like this. No, it has to be like that. Um, but, you know, there's an underlying, I think the great thing about when you've been together a long while is that is there is a security of knowing like you've got that structure, you've got that bedrock. So even if things are difficult, and sometimes, you know, we've had very difficult times with our children, for instance, but because our relationship, you know, when you've, you're sort of talking 30 plus years, it, there's a sense of, uh, you know, there's a permanence to that that provides a security, which means you can have quite robust conversations and you can still get through it. Yes. Yes. Well, you, I mean, you have to, don't you? And, and actually, you know, marriage is, is a, is a, is a partnership, it's a teamwork and so on, but it's also, it's, it's somebody there to go through challenges with, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, I, both David and I grew up with just one parent. We just grew up with our mums and we always say, my gosh, our mums were incredible. How they did that without a partner is just, in, just amazing because they have to be good cop, bad cop, you know, they, they had to play every role. And, and I think that I, I really salute people that are managing to bring their kids up on their own, because honestly, I think you're saints, you're amazing people. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, well, well, look, Carrie, you've mentioned your, your children. And, and this is where, of course, you sort of talk about some of the some of the things you've you've achieved together and some of the, the journeys you've been on and so on. And, and kids are the ones that yeah. give us the biggest journeys going. And you have four children. Uh, now, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be delicate with this, Carrie, because I'm, I'm going to ask you to teach me about these things if you're OK with that, rather than having any assumed understanding yeah. of, of what you've been through, because I think it would be completely ridiculous of me to just kind of ask questions like, like, oh, I'm, like, I'm, like I'm aligned with it because it's you only understand it when you're living through it yeah so, thank so, you that's so lovely well I just I'd, lo I'd love you to walk me through the experience because you have four phenomenal kids three biological and one Nathan yeah. who you adopted when he was very little and, and yeah we, we can get on to the, the adoption process and all the rest of it in due course if that's all right but the yeah. The four children, as I understand it, and, and we only have the internet yeah. to tell us these things, so I'd much rather <laughs> hear it from you. But e yeah. each of them have their own unique personality traits and, and something, is this correct, something called neurodiversity? Yes, yeah, so neurodiversity. So basically, most people are what we call neurotypical, um, which is, you know, what, what, what I suppose 20 years ago, we just go, oh, you're normal. And then everybody else was not normal. 
but th that language has changed. So now we use the word neurotypical, which is, you know, it's the predominant kind of way of being is what we call neurotypical. So if you're neurodiverse, you're, you're not neurotypical. So I have um, my oldest child, Olive, has ADHD. And then my next child down, Thailand, uh, is autistic. And then my next child down, May, has um, ADHD and is autistic. And then my little boy, who's 11, Nathan, he has ADHD and attachment difficulties. So um, they've all got their own diversities. And, um, and so it's been a massive learning curve for us. You know, when we, when we started out as parents, I think David and I were really clear about how we wanted to, to raise our children. We both grew up with quite strict mums. And we were like, yeah, we like that. We're going to be strict parents. Our kids are going to sit in the restaurants with us and everyone's going to look at our table and go, wow, look at those kids. Aren't they great? What brilliant parents. And then we realized that we'd kind of entered the zoo. Yeah. And, um, and it's been a very, very different experience. And what we've had to learn is, you know, there isn't a one size fits all. We can't, we have to parent differently. We have to tailor our parenting so that it meets the need of our needs of our children. But not only that, we have to shape shift for each child. So each individual child is being brought up slightly differently, which of course brings its own challenges because it because it is different for each one and you have to tailor to their needs, which you know, we have this word special needs, which I never like that because it's, it's, it's mandatory. You know, these are needs that have to be met. They're not yeah. just a special thing. My kids are very special, but their needs are mandatory. So that the, the adjustments that we have to make as parents and shape-shifting we have to do to make sure that we prepare them for the world that is neurotypical, that is going to hit back and is not going to understand them always. You know, we have to prepare them for the world, but also help, hopefully through the work that we do, prepare the world for them, which is why I spend so much time raising awareness is just to, to make sure those two things, hopefully we're making it a little bit easier as we move forward. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I certainly feel like from, I don't know, from perhaps my childhood through to watching my own children's childhood now, I, I hope and think that awareness is very, very different to what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. But, but still, there's a lot of ignorance, isn't there? There really is. And you're, you're absolutely right, right. In one sense, it was easier when, when we were younger. But I would also say that, you know, back in when I was growing up in sort of the 70s, uh, I, I'm born in 65, so, so my, most of my childhood was in the 70s. There was much more of a sense of the village raising the child. There was much more of a sense of community. And one of the things that David and I have tried to do in our lives and with our marriages is to include people. So a couple of ways that we do that is, Every Christmas, we've always said anyone that doesn't have family comes to us, oh. and we have 120. We have 120 people that come at Christmas. Wow! And then, that's yeah, a, that's and a then, massive table, Carrie. Crikey! Yeah, it's a very, very, very large turkey. And then, um, <laughs> and then outside of that, we started a support group for families who have autistic um, girls and um, non-binary children. And we we have 150 families that we support. We've been supporting through lockdown with weekly meetings. And, um, and and I think it's about trying to reassemble the village. That's what I feel about. For me, I look at Britain at the moment, it feels so broken. And the only way to change that, I don't believe in a top-down system. I don't believe that any government will be able to change that now. We have to actually do it ourselves. We have to create groundswell. We have to create families that connect with one another, whatever shape and diversity those families are, and actually start liking one another again, start working together, 
and lots of, obviously that's that's happening on a you know on a, on a certain in a certain way it's definitely happening but we have found with our children there's so little help there is so little done for children that are autistic that we have to start making that happen ourselves because it's not going to happen. No one's going to come and help you. Mm. So you've got to reach out and, and do it yourself and help one another. And that is about the village. So going back to what you were saying, yeah, back in the seventies when I was growing up, yeah, we didn't have all these diagnoses and people were just bullied for being different. However, there was much more of a village system. It's like, you know, if, if my, if, if, if my, my friend's mum brought me home from school and my mum answered the door, um, my, you know, my, my mum's, my friend's mum would say, you know, I, I've, I've told her off because she did this wrong. And my mum would thank the person, right. you know, thank, mm. th- thanks for telling my kid off because anyone in the village could tell you not to do something because we all kind of, we lived by the same kind of rules, if you like. So there was just more of a sense of, you know, I'll feed your child. I'll bring them around. I'll tell them off. And, you know, it, life just felt a little more simpler, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I completely understand that. And it's, it's actually something that, we, we definitely, I can't see us ever getting back to that. You know, it's, we're, we're sort of too spread out as kind of individuals and, and with devices and social media and so on and so forth, you know, that I don't, I'm not sure we'll ever have that level of community again, sadly. No, I think that you can create pockets of it. And I think that's where it really works. And it's, and for me, it's just about knowing who my neighbours are, knowing who lives down my street. You know, you can live in your neighbourhood and not even know well, certainly in London, we don't even know who our neighbours are, which is really, that's really worrying. You know, we should be, we should be able to go round to their house and say, I've just got an emergency, please could you come and come into my house for 10 minutes while I run up the road? You know, those kinds of things. I, I, I long to see a time where I do believe that that can happen. And, and we've created environments where that is happening. That's, that's, I mean, I guess that's what particularly my MBA is for, is, is for that the charity side of what I do is really about that. It's about joining people up and reconnecting. How inspiring! I think I think this is wonderful, Carrie. Just hearing kind of your passion for it and and your because because you've lived with it and you understand it. You, you know, it's not just a sort of celebrity taking on a cause. It's somebody genuinely that that has experienced. Oh my gosh, no! I'm not just I'm not fronting a campaign. Most of the stuff that I do, you don't even hear about. Mm. My stuff is actually in my house or right now. It's online. You know they, but people don't know about it. It's all very underground. You know, that's why it was so lovely to get the MBE last year. Because I was like, my gosh, how did they even find out about this stuff? Yeah, <laughs> Someone's brilliant. been telling on me. <laughs> well, I'm glad they did because, I mean, it's a lovely thing to have, isn't it? And and, and so yeah. right that you've got it. I think I think it's terrific. Um, can, can you just sort of decode some, some myths for me, Karen? Yeah. Would this be all right? So there's sort of yeah. three terms that, that I've heard you use there that are connected to your own children. You've used yeah. ADHD, autism yeah. and non-binary. If we just take those yeah. in order. So, for example, ADHD, everybody sort of has a an assumption that they think they know what it means, you know, and the, perhaps the, yeah. the, the ignorant view is, well, they're, they're just a bit noisy. They need attention. What is it? What, what does it actually mean? What is the reality of, of, of living with ADHD? So ADHD has a number of traits. And I think that most of us understand uh, ADHD as being, it's probably a boy in a classroom bouncing off the walls or in the house bouncing off the walls. And everyone says, Oh my gosh, he's so loud that kid. Um, and, and that's our perception of it. But ADHD is a lot broader than that. So with my eldest child, Olive, um, they would have that kind of chaos going on, if you like, and hyperactivity going on, but it isn't outwards. It's in their head. 
Okay. So a hundred thoughts are going through their head all at the same time. So they don't have any they don't have any learning disability, so they're very clever, but they'll sit when they were at school, they would sit in the class and they would lose their attention immediately because there's a deficit there. Well, not necessarily a deficit, but it's hard to focus on one thing for any length of time unless it's your passion. So when it comes to acting or singing or poetry or writing, those kinds of things, Olive can completely focus and can learn scripts just by reading them once through. But sitting in a classroom behind a desk for half an hour doing science on a Friday afternoon, their heads would be somewhere else. And mm. they would get distracted, and then the teacher would say, "You know, stop looking out the window." And then they start clicking their pen to try and keep themselves focused because they're fidgety, very, very fidgety. And then they get told off for being fidgety, and they get sent out the classroom. And then, of course, when I pick them up from school, I'd be told my child's being really disobedient. They got sent out the class when actually they just can't physically can't focus. Mm. So that's how it manifests in them. But then there might be other traits like sensory traits, like um, the labels in their clothes are annoying and that's distracting or they can smell the dinner, the, the canteen, and that's really distracting. Or there's a squeaky door right outside their classroom that loads of kids keep walking through. That's distracting. Um, and because their sensory world is much more heightened than what we're calling a neurotypical person, um, they are going to be distracted constantly. So, you know, even similarly with the sensory thing with, I know I'm moving on slightly to autism, but with my autistic children, they would hear things 10 times the normal heightened sound. So if one of my children is in in the kitchen, they'll say that fridge is so annoying. And I think, what fridge? And I'll say that noise of the fridge, because they're hearing it 10 times the sound. Now, if you imagine us going through our lives and everything being 10 times the sound, 10 times the brightness, 10 times the smell, and then that's so distracting. How do you focus on learning? Yes. That's that sort of how it might manifest, but also with things like in conversation. If you get into an argument, we always try to slow everything down in our house because if you've got slightly chaotic thinking, it's very hard to organize your thoughts, and that means organizing your speech. That means organizing everything. Um, so we slow everything down. We say, what is it? What are, you, what are you actually trying to say? Try a few different ways of saying it, and then we'll just move forward with the conversation. So things can't go at speed, like bam, 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 you know, how things, arguments go, if you like, or just in busy families, people mm. talk at speed. We try to slow things down a bit and just help our children to process what it is they actually want to say without distraction. Yes. Gosh, you must be exhausted, Kerry. I mean, it's, uh, it's something you have to be on top of. I guess 100% of the time. Yeah, because if a child is trying to tell you how they feel and they can't process their thoughts, eventually what they're going to do is, you know, all behaviours are communication. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they're either going to walk out and slam the door or they're going to start shouting because they feel frustrated. And that then we start judging them for being frustrated and their behaviours are not what we want them to be. So we would look at behaviours and rather than saying, oh, my child just, you know shouted and slammed the door well you know back in the 1970s we know what our mums would have done we know what the reaction would have been whereas these days that that just isn't how we can behave as parents and so we have to be very canny and savvy about how we respond to our children and look at why did that just happen okay how could we make that better and how can we help them to not get to that point to where they become so kind of 
dysregulated, if you like, that they, they can't control their emotions. So how do we help them to do that? And so it's a kind of, our, our parenting is, I feel like I'm part therapist, part referee. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and so, and so Carrie, what sort of ages were you sort of realizing that actually, you know, the, the neurodiverse nature of, of the children? When, 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 yeah, when well, I did realize it. Yeah. With our first child, I didn't even notice it at all because I just thought, well, that's, that, that you only know what you've got. So I thought, yeah, that, that's what I'm calling normal. Right. And it was only when they went to school that, that we thought, you know, the teachers were saying they're this and they're that. And we were thinking, so interesting. They're so compliant at home. They're really, they're, you know, they, they, they like to be a bit of a people pleaser. So it's really interesting that they're suddenly being labeled as, you know, not behaving well. Um, and so that, that, that began the journey sort of when they started school. But really, it was when our third child was born, uh, May, who is autistic. And, and, and they were diagnosed at the age of three and a half, four, I think. No, three. Yeah, three. So um, then we began to dip, in, dip our toes into the world of autism and ADHD and looking at all this stuff. And suddenly we were... You know, we, we were ticking a lot of boxes in our family. Yes. Like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, they got that. Yep, yeah, they got that. Um, and uh, and so we began that journey of how do we change who we are as parents to be what we need to be for these children. And and you know that was a slow process. And you know, talking about disagreeing. You know, I think I jumped ship straight away. David didn't want to jump ship. He's like, nope, we're going to raise our children like this and. You know, he, his attitude was very different, and it took him a good three years, I think, to get on the same page. For us to both get on the same page and and begin to really work together, and that was really difficult. That three years was like, oh my gosh, every day we were disagreeing on how to do things with our children. Um, yes, because it's the unknown, isn't it? You're leaping into a void that, that there's not much help for. And how- yeah. yeah. Hello, I'm Amber. I work for the team that bring you this show and the Driven Chat podcast. And we love that you're listening. It would be really cool if you could just chuck us five stars, subscribe and tell your friends. Thank you. The Andy J Podcast. If you've got a child that's refusing to go to school and you think, well, the only way that I can get them out their bedroom and into that car, because otherwise I'm going to get some attendance officer on my back, I've got to kind of carry them, an 11-year-old, down the stairs and shove them in the car and try and get them to school because I'm so scared of the attendance officer. Um, you know, and I, that's what I'm saying. I jumped ship. I was like, this child is so anxious. They can't make it into school. And it isn't about them being a school refuser. It's about the school not making the adjustments that my child needs in order to enter into school. So I became a bit of a mum warrior, which we all become. We become parent warriors because I realized I can't drag my child down the stairs. I'm not prepared to do that anymore. I have to actually get the school to make those adjustments so that it works for my child. And funnily enough, if it works for my child, weirdly, it seems to work for a lot of other children who may not have a diagnosis, but uh, who are struggling at school. And I think this is actually only something that we've really looked at. I've noticed since lockdown, now we're talking about every child's mental health, every child's well-being. And suddenly those adjustments, people are considering them because they realise every kid's in the same boat pretty much. Yes, and I wonder if partly that's because parents have been enforced to have more closer observation of, of their children at all times because, you know, they've, they've been together more. Yeah, I mean, I think parents obviously have had to become teachers and still try and do their work. It's been really difficult on on parents, but 
it's also difficult on teachers when you're sending back 30 kids in a class who, you know, these 30 kids have not been mixing with, they've not been socialising. So what happens when you don't socialise? You know what you're like when you've been on, if you sit on your computer for five hours, which I do sometimes in the day, you know, someone comes, David comes and talks to me, I forget how to talk. (laughs) (laughs) How how is it you, how is it you, you communicate again? I've fallen down the rabbit hole. And it's a little bit like that for all our kids at the moment. They've, they've spent so much time alone. Yeah. You know, even if we are interacting with them, they've spent a lot more time alone. And they're not socialising. It's like they've got to relearn those skills. And for the vulnerable children, it's going to be 10 times worse. So, you know, it is a challenge moving forward. I think not just for children with special needs, but for all children. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, then, of course, we have the, the non-binary term that you, you referenced as well. And, and this is yeah. with Thailand, who, who, who the, the public will know is very successfully uh, performing in Hollyoaks and doing a wonderful job. Yeah. In fact, um, they won Best Newcomer in 2019, I believe. So, again, treat me as I'm dumb because I am. Non- yeah. Non-binary, layman's terms, what does it mean? What's, what's the impact of it? Yeah. So I think for me, just to, to, to start just by saying, I'm still learning. I didn't know about non-binary this time last year, other than I think I was like, you know, heard about Sam Smith being non-binary. I was like, okay, so he, he now uh, is going to be they, them. So, uh, you know, it's just a pronoun change. Mm. So what happened in my house was during lockdown, yeah, well, it's actually even before lockdown, Olive, my eldest child, had said very quietly one day I'm non-binary and I just said oh lovely darling that's wonderful and I kind of moved on and didn't really respond to it very much and I feel really bad about that now because I didn't realize what it meant really and it wasn't until this and then also so also my third child May they had when they were a bit younger they'd expressed the desire to be a boy and we were we just walked alongside that and supported them in that journey and then that kind of went away for a while. But Thailand suddenly in September said to David and I one day, I'm non-binary and I would like you to use the pronouns they and them with, with me. I don't want to be she and her anymore. So I thought, okay, that's fine. I'll try to get that right. And I don't, it, it is quite hard to get right. Some people seem to be able to do it straight away and it's brilliant. I, I, I'll, our 11-year-old son gets it right every single time. I don't always get it right. But the most important thing is just to correct yourself and move on and don't mm. make a big deal of it. So um, we started uh, using the pronouns they and them for Thailand. But at that same time, Olive then said, I did actually tell you a year ago I wanted you to use those pronouns with me. So, And then our May said, well, you know, I'm, I'm definitely they, them. So, in some ways, it was easier. It just meant the three people that were assigned female at birth were now wanting to, to use those pronouns, they and them. And Thailand has since changed to he, they, which means we can use he and him and they and them. So it's quite complicated in terms of just getting your head around as a parent. You know, yeah. I, 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 I had three daughters and, and now I feel like I, I don't have three daughters. I have three children. Um, and uh, of course my son as well, but you know, so just getting your head around that is is a little bit complicated, but I think that the most important thing is actually understanding that my children 
particularly focused, let's say, on, on, on Thai, on Thailand, you know, they, it's not just about getting their pronouns. It's about understanding who they are. This is who they identify, how they identify. And this is something that didn't just happen on one day in September. This is something that when we sat and listened to Ty tell their story, this is something that started happening when they were very, very young. And when I look back, I think, oh, yeah, I remember that, that phase where you just didn't want to wear skirts. You wanted to wear uh, more androgynous clothes. Um, but remembering, actually, even with non-binary, someone might look like what, what I, as a woman, I might look and think, well, they still look like a woman, so how can they be non-binary? They don't owe it to us to look androgynous. Mm. <laughs> you know, like trans people don't owe it to us to look as best as they can at the thing they are identifying as. Right. And I think that's a really important thing to remember these days. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different landscape now. So my children don't want to do the gender thing. They just don't want to. They don't really like the idea of binary worlds. They, you know, we took a lot in our house, funnily enough, in the background. We took about, you know, it, it isn't a situation out there that there are the goodies and the baddies. You know, most people that are good also have some bad in them. And the people that we identify as bad, they also have some good traits, you know. So actually, it's a, there's a lot of grey in the middle. And how David and I are as husband and wife, we don't really have roles in that husband and wife way because we didn't grow up with dad. So David cooks one day, I cook one day, I sometimes mend the car. We don't have those roles. So it's a kind of, it doesn't surprise me in a way that our children then go, well, we don't really want to have this binary way of living. We identify as don't want to be strictly male or strictly female. We want to we want that not to matter. We want to be in, in the, the, that middle space. So again, I'm so sorry if I'm sounding incredibly. No, ask away. I, I just, I, I find it fascinating and, and I'm, and I'm all for, I'm very much live and let live, you know, whoever someone wants yeah. to be, so long as they're not hurting someone else, then, then good for them, sure. you know, more power to them. But, but it's, I'm asking for education purposes, not for anything other than that. Sure. So you sort of referenced trans community, for example. Now, now my understanding yeah. of that is that that involves a sort of sex change in, in some capacity, some more extreme than others. Whereas. Right. So is, is, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And okay. I think that's where I think people of certainly my age, in my 50s, you know, when I was, when we were taught about what, what being trans was, it was uh, normally we thought, well, okay, now here's a guy, he's going to have some surgery and he's going to, you know, then have a boob job and get everything taken away down below. And that, that's what we thought of as transsexual. Whereas these days, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It might oh, yes. mean that. You Sorry. Could... Yes. 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 No, yeah. I, I didn't mean it was removing or adding physical parts. Yeah. I just meant as in, as in they were identifying. If a if a guy had a, had a was was trans and wanted to be a, a lady, then they were identifying. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? That that's yeah. what I meant. I didn't mean you know involved surgery. I was just meaning that's when someone is trans, yeah. it means they have they have effectively swapped what they were born with. Yeah. At least at least mentally projecting or, or whatever. Um, whereas with non-binary, and again, yeah. this is a question, not a statement. Yeah. Does, does that mean the sort of sexual element? I don't mean physical as, as in having sex. I mean, as in yeah. guy, girl, and so on. Gender. Does, does yeah. That, yeah. Thank you. Gender. Does that mean that it, it's actually just the removal of gender in its entirety? Is, is, is that what it means? Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, yeah. I want yeah. to know yeah. rather than, you know, than I understand. I think, I just want to say I don't represent, you know, the non-binary community. I'm no. just an ally, <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an, also I'm a learning ally. But as I understand it, yes, absolutely. What you said—they don't want to identify, or, or, or uh, they don't feel like 
that they are male or female. And they we have this word dysphoria, which is you're uncomfortable inside your skin. Your body doesn't feel comfortable. And that's what those my three children have really experienced massively is that they don't feel like they are a woman. So they um, and that might and, and that's why it's very that's why the pronouns are important because when someone misgenders them and says, "Oh, isn't she beautiful? Look at my you look at your little princess," you know, my kids, <laughs> you, you watch them, they're cringing mm. uh, because they just don't identify with that and they really feel uncomfortable in their physically in their bodies. So they they just yeah they don't feel male they don't feel female they feel non-binary which is i don't want to live in that binary way right so and i think also you know there's lots of one's one's um gender is more than your genitals i think that's the other thing there, there's a lot of science behind that now there are there are apparently seven genders scientifically there are seven different things that you could be there are plenty of uh, men out there who may may have uh, a male what we would call a male body uh, but then hormonally are not that way. And similarly with women who are hormonally not that way. So I think the more studies that we have in, in DNA and the more the science uh, is out there, uh, the more it backs up this sense of it's not a black and white situation, put it that way. Yes. Yes. No, I, I completely connect with that. I can understand that. Um Gosh, yes. Well, I mean, Carrie, on, on the most sort of basic of levels, because listeners to this might be thinking, well, well hang on, there's, there's lots of terms that have been used here and, and some yeah. people might, might struggle to connect and, and some people might be dismissive of it and some people might be completely yeah. pro it and uh, whatever. Oh, let me tell you something. When Thailand, um, they put uh, their story into all the newspapers, it came out about three weeks ago and the newspapers, the British media were absolutely wonderful thailand didn't even know that they'd gone into the national press i mentioned it in passing and the reason why i didn't tell thailand is because the comments that were underneath certainly one of the newspapers we had to ask them to switch their comments off because the comments were absolutely appalling i cried over those comments there were about 500 comments and only one in about 25 was positive and um, and they were things like oh oh that she's so attention seeking, and um, and they made uh, mockery of her genitals. They made mockery of uh, of, of their genitals. They made uh, mockery of their race. They made a mockery of so much of who Thailand is. Um, so I think there's a lot to learn. But you know, let's remember if you identify, you're listening to this. You identify as a woman or you identify as a man fantastic i identify as a woman that's great doesn't threaten us we stay in whatever we feel it's just that there are some people that don't identify in that way and it's just appreciating how they want to identify it, it shouldn't threaten anybody else we you know i'm, I'm 55 i've been a woman all my life I'll, I'll be a woman for the rest of my life that's how i feel but it's not the same for everybody and i think it's just appreciating that 
Yes, yes, I agree. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that the comments are like that. And, and I, 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 I won't apologise for, for keyboard warriors. They're all fools as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, people are, mm. people are scared of change and, and new things and they perhaps don't understand and, and can't connect or don't want to connect. But, but what I was going to ask, Carrie, because it's, it's far more simplistic than, than all of that, is that, you know, yeah. they, these are your children and they, they, have, yeah. they have stepped into their own identities and, and you can embrace that and so on. And, and with all the labels and the, all the various things that we've discussed, I think it's really important to ask this question and to hear the answer because people will be wondering, well, what are they like as people? I'm guessing ultimately whatever their labels are and whatever they have chosen to identify as, they're still just great company, right? They're my kids. They're phenomenal human beings that, you know, they are Olive, Tylan and May and Nathan. And if you get to know them, they are wonderful humans, absolutely incredible people. And they have so much to offer the world. They really do have so much to offer the world. And that's how I think of them. I celebrate them. You know, a label is only a problem if you've got a problem with the label. I don't actually have a problem with the label. My kids are wonderfully autistic, fabulously non-binary. You know, that's how I see it. And, and you know, we don't go around the house talking about autism and being non-binary all day long. We just talk to our kids because they're our kids. It's only when you're trying to explain your children to people that we might focus on some of these things. You know, my children are also, like you said, with Ty, Thailand, and also with, with Olive. Olive is currently making a TV series uh, for Steven Spielberg. They're nominated for a BAFTA for uh, Save Me Too. They're the most incredible actor. Yeah. Thailand is an incredible actor. So let's talk about how great they are in the thing, with the things that they do and part of the reason why they're great actors actually is probably because of their diversity, because they really understand people. And because they understand people, that makes their acting even better. Yes. Yes. That, you see, that's what I wanted to hear, Carrie, because, you know, I think people, people that aren't living in your house that don't, yeah. don't get to meet them, that just sort of see these headlines and all the rules, they have no idea. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, and I'm, I'm making presumptions here, you know, the six of you sit around the table, have a cup of tea and just laugh. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of laughs in our house, a bit of shouting and a lot of laughs. And, you know, and when lockdown isn't here, probably 100 people come through my house in a week. It's a a community centre and we all love each other. We're all getting on with life and it's great. And, and, And to be honest, there are so many diversities in our family. You know, there is, there's race, there's neurodiversity, there's gender diversity, there's sexuality diversity. There's invisible disability. Because we've got all of those, after a while, it's just such a list. You might as well just go, hang on, this is just, you're just a grant. <laughs> you know, if you come to our house, that's what you're going to see. It, it's mind-blowing. You know, I never thought this would be my life growing up in, you know, white suburban North London. But this is, this is my life, and it's exciting. These things are amazing. Those differences are, are something that stretch me and, and, and help me to see the world in a much broader way And that, for that. I'm so grateful I've got these, these people around me that are so different, and I am different too. You know, all of that difference is fantastic. I think these kids are so lucky to have you and David as parents. I, I, I love I don't that. know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Should have seen me trying to get them out to school today. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, but, you know, the, you haven't done what, what some people would have done, which has gone, nope, nope, not having it. No, that's not true. No, you're just going to do this and do that. And in my way or the highway, as it were, which, which there will be a large number of people out there that would do that. You've gone, okay, let's, let's live together. Yeah, there's that. 
I think by and large, the families that we work with, they're not even like that now. I think a lot of families are just like, I'm so rubbish at parenting. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to my child. I'm really awful. And part of what we want to do is empower parents to believe that, you know, it, so your child's different. Do you know what? Let's just work with that. And it doesn't mean you're a terrible parent. It means, you know, you might have to adapt a little bit and you might be judged by the world out there. But you know what? I've never, in my experience, the parents that parent children with special needs, they're some of the best parents you ever meet. They're so they're so hooked in, you know, they really do understand what's going on. They they really read up on it. And um, and they're some of the best parents. They're like, honestly, we should have had the SEN community parents negotiating Brexit because we'd have had that done in a week. <laughs> we would have because we negotiate every day. We're out there negotiating. And that is, you know, they're fantastic people. But sometimes they don't believe that because they're a very judged people. Yes, yes. But uh, I mean, I can only hope and assume that as time ticks by, and as we've mentioned, you know, we've forgiven you for sixth at Eurovision, for goodness sake. You know, <laughs> now celebrate that as a result. But as time as time ticks by, you know, I, I would just assume these conversations will no longer have to be because it's just acknowledged, accepted and appreciated. Yeah. And I just, I really appreciate you giving me this time to save. And, you know, because that helps people to understand, even if people think, well, I'm really uncomfortable with that. That's okay. Sit with your discomfort. Because I was uncomfortable with some things. I'm like, okay, I need to just sit with this. Why am I uncomfortable? Let me just question that. And let me process that till I can come to a positive outcome. And I think that that's the great thing about raising awareness. You're giving it opportunity. So thanks to you. Oh, there's nothing to thank me for. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you, Kerry. I mean, I, honestly, I find you and and your family inspiring, and and you know, you're you're pioneering things, which is which is so important for the for for such a, a sort of an unheard community out there that that I think needs to have some attention and and, and deserves yeah. it is, is rightly you know we need to understand more. And I'm sorry if some of my questions have seemed dumb because I am dumb to no. you know, not from I, not from I, choice. Yeah, I do loads and loads of public speaking, and one of my, my one of my statements is so interesting. You just said that is please ask the dumb questions. The dumb questions are a starting point. Do your children make eye contact? Yeah. Do your children speak? Try and stop them. You know, it's mm. it's they they're not what you expect. So you need those dumb questions to come uh, because that helps people to get past their own embarrassment. It helps people to get past their own ignorance. And eventually you get to a really good conversation. And I love that moment where it crosses over from just kind of a, a weird curiosity to being something that's more meaningful and is and transforms us all. You know, I had that experience when I met David's family and, and went to my first uh, Jamaican home, walked into a Jamaican home, went, wow, what's going on here? This is different to my home. Mm. And so, you know, I, I, we've, all, we've all got journeys to walk and learn. And, and it's a... And I'm constantly learning. I'm still learning. And, and I love that. I'm fascinated by difference. So, yeah, you, I, I welcome the dumb questions. Oh, good. Well, it's all I ever do, to be honest, <laughs> Kerry. I'm, I'm an expert in dumb questions, and that's, that's about as far as I can go. I've made a career of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yours is loaded with talent, Kerry, whereas mine is just dumb questions. So, so there's a big difference. Um, Kerry, am I right in saying, and again, this is, again, dumb question time, um, but am yeah. I right in saying that... that, that Throughout your entire life, you've also had a, had a sort of separate battle, as it were, which is Crohn's disease. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. not fun. You know, it's so funny. Crohn's disease, it, it really is, it's a really serious thing. But because I'm so, my kids take up so much of my headspace, it's almost, it's like it has a backseat. It's, it's 
like an, an added extra these days. But yes, I do have Crohn's. And, and that's another thing I care deeply about is, is sort of raising the awareness of, of invisible disability because people don't see it. You know, they see you on telly or they see you, you know, if it's not me, you know, they see you go to work, they see you out on the street. And you might look really well, but people don't know that you're in pain or that you're suffering. So, yeah, Crohn's disease. That's a tough one. It is. Yes, I have a very, very good friend who has Crohn's disease and he's he's a racing driver and a singer. Um, so you might have met him actually. Oh, Rick, Rick Parfitt Jr. Rick you know? Parfitt Jr., yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rick's a really a good friend guy. of mine. He's a top, top man. And he's, he, he's at the start of lockdown, he had a, a, a sort of progressive surgery. surgery. Yeah, did you, do you yeah. know about this? Yeah, yeah. Is, is that something he's you amazing, consider? He's, he's found it transformative. Yeah, so so he's, he's had his surgery. I had... Um, quite a bit of my bowel taken out back in the very late 80s and there was always the threat of okay you may need to have a colostomy bag or stoma as they call it now um uh but fortunately i've managed to not have to have that and it's a really interesting thing because it it feels like the i don't for me i guess once you get crunch you think that is like the ultimate threat well the ultimate threat is death but before that is like if i have a colostomy bag that will be the end of life as we know it but actually what people don't realise, and what you don't realise, actually, as, as someone who has inflammatory bowel disease, is that you, by the time you get to that point, you're just going to be saying, please, just do whatever needs to be done, because yeah. the pain is so bad. Um, and I'm not sure exactly the details of, of Rick's surgery. Obviously, he would need to share that. But he did, he, he, I mean, I just remember the pictures on Facebook. He was looking so thin, and and he had lost, he really just looked sick, sick. He looked grey. Yeah. Um, and just seeing him, I was looking, he was doing a big race, he's a racing driver, isn't he? And he's yes. got into the British team and he's, you know, just seeing his face and seeing him healthy again, uh, you know, that for all of us that, that are in the, the bowel disease community, he, he really represents, you know, we're so happy for him. And, uh, but it, you know, it can be really difficult. It can be, it's so, um, debilitating and anyone, you know, what we, what most of us understand, I suppose, is that. You know, our NHS is built on acute care. It's like critical. We understand cancers. We understand heart attacks. We understand the big, you know, strokes, those kinds of things. But what we don't really understand is long-term chronic conditions. And many of us are living with long-term chronic conditions, whether that's Crohn's or diabetes or various ME, fibromyalgia. There's lo- loads of them. Um, and those are, those. they're very hard. They're, they're not the acute us but they are constantly with you and it's something we're all living longer but we're all sicker so it's something you're going to have for a very long while mm. um and, and that's a challenge and it, it, it took me a long while to get my head around having a disease i was only uh, 20 when i got diagnosed and i just thought oh my gosh this is the end of life uh, i i hadn't planned for for sickness i planned for a lot of other things yes. but i haven't ever thought about getting sick when i was young so it's really really hard Yes, life takes us down fascinating little avenues, doesn't it? And uh, you never quite know where you're going to end up, but it's part of the journey. It certainly does. And I think in some ways, you know, I David and I often sit with one another and we say, well, this life that we're leading right now is not going to change drastically. You know, the way that it is, it's going to be hard. Um, so now we know it's hard. We can't normalise this because it's so such madness sometimes. But how do we do this well? How do we get something good, even in this really difficult place? You know, and, and for me with Crohn's, I think that's a journey. I feel like Crohn's prepared me, my journey with that, 
prepared me for what I now face with my children because I do appreciate every day that's good. I'm looking, you know, if I look out the window and I see the sunshine, I'm like, wow, it's a really good day. That's, I, I appreciate the very small things, the small wins in life. But I don't think I would have had that had I not gone through what I've gone through with, with Crohn's disease because it really, at one point, it really was minute by minute. I just need to get through the next minute one minute at a time, one hour at a time, then one day at a time, you know. And that that way of learning to live prepared me then for, you know, having a child on suicide watch and not knowing if they would live. You then go, hang on, I, I remember I, did, I learned to do this in my early 20s. How do you live minute by minute? Let me just go back to what I learned back then. So I was able to pull on that resource. Um, so Crohn's in many ways, as, as awful as it has been, and still continues to be sometimes, I still really was my learning ground for all the stuff that has come since. What a great way of looking at it, because often, you know, people people experience challenges in their lives, don't they, for what, whatever they might be. And yeah. at the time you just think, oh, this is so unfair, this is so unfair. But again, we talk about yeah. the power of time. You know, years later, you discovered actually the reason I went through that was, and the pieces yeah. that fell into place. It's, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? It is, and, 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 but that's not to say, you know, when we, and maybe we're glossing over how bad it can be, you know, yeah, I'm talking very positively, but, you know, that positivity does, has not, it it's not, doesn't come cheaply. It comes at a price. It comes from sitting there at 4 a.m. In, in the middle of the hospital, just thinking, I, I hope I actually get through this because they're not sure if I will. And, and when you face those kinds of things, it, it, you know, it, it changes you. And sometimes it changes you negatively for a period of time. And I think we have to allow for that. I allow, you know, I do feel really bad about this. You know, I'm I'm never going to jump up and down about one of my children being on suicide watch. That just is, it's hideous. It's awful. There's no other way to say that. But I am sure even in those situations, there is something to be learned and, and it's reflecting back. What can I learn from what's, what's just happened? How can I move forward with this? Because, you know, I do have a really deep sense of destiny in everyone's life. There's a sense of like, purpose and destiny in your life and you can't push forward in your destiny if you're pulling onto your history the whole time if you're living in that traumatic past if you're living in those really dark times you have to somehow find the power and the will to let go and um and so that's i suppose what i try to do bit by bit is to try and let go of the things that hurt wow yeah i mean carrie it's it's just hearing you talk is is inspirational i mean it's uh if you want to bust out a few tunes I'm, I'm comfortable with that as well but, <laughs> but i can't afford that though that's the trouble you know <laughs> um kerry lizard just just two really quick finish ones if, if that's all right because you've been such an yeah. amazing guest and just the most incredible, mind-blowing conversation that I've learned so much from and, and, and I cherish it. Thank you. Um, so just two, just two that are a little bit of fun, really. I mean, the first one is what, what comes next? You've just talked about living in the now, but I'm going to ask you to jump in the future yeah. a little bit. Tell, tell us about what we're, going to be, what we're going to be hearing from or seeing you do in the, in the next few months. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess we were very fortunate over lockdown that we immediately went on to coaching online. So uh, I'm currently working with Melanie C, uh, and she's got some, yeah, she's got some new stuff coming out. So that's been, that's been a real, real treasure because just obviously just before lockdown, Spice Girls did that massive 
mature and we we prepared them for that so i'm, I'm working with with melanie um david and i have got a little book deal that we're we're writing on we're also you know just continuing to do uh, the coaching and um and doing that on a slightly different level we've just written a master's course um so we're going to be delivering that it's quite interesting going into the world of academia so a bit of that we've got our radio show Great. um there's all, there's all sorts of stuff going on i mean i just I, I i wake up on a monday and i'm like okay what's what's happening i turn the page on the diary and i'm like okay let's go for this <laughs> fantastic Fantastic. Oh, how exciting. Um, and my last one is is literally just a bit of fun, Carrie. I hope this is okay. Um, but you've, yeah. men- you've mentioned car a couple of times, which has kind of set my, my little alarm going because we have a bit of fun. We do a car show as well on talk radio. And, and every now and again, if I talk to a celebrity like yourself, I will ask you just to fill in the blanks here. I'm going to give you a dream drive opportunity. So what yeah. I'm going to give you is you can choose any car, any destination, yeah. and you can have three celebrity passengers now they can be fictitious alive dead real whatever so mostly it's about who joins you on your dream journey the only thing is you can't be related to them so you can't you can't just fill it with family because yeah. that's a massive I can't love david yeah no no i wouldn't really want him anyway to be honest um, <laughs> <laughs> no okay so i know this straight away i'm in an open top jack lovely and i'm driving to the west coast of Scotland, oh, yeah. the Isle of Lochouch and the Isle of Skye. I'm going to do an, a drive. It's, a, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not British weather, by the way. We've got some nice <laughs> Spanish weather. Some nice, a bit of Spanish weather has come our way. Brilliant. And we are driving to the, the west coast of Scotland. And in my car, I would like, is it three I've got? You can have mm. three. Yeah, I mean, if, if you need more, do say. Can they, do they have to be alive? No, 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 no. And they can even be, you can have Yoda if you want, you know, they can be fictitious. <laughs> oh no, I'm going to get all worthy again. I'm just too woke. Um, <laughs> right. I'm going to have, um, I'm going to have, uh, I'd like Annie Lennox in there because she's Scottish and I think she would be quite handy to have. And she sings really well. So she could, she could, she could croon a few tunes. Brilliant. I'd like Nelson Mandela in there because I think that he is, he was amazing. And who's my third one? So I've got someone who can, um, yeah, and Jesus. Let's stick Jesus in there. That'd be funny. We'd have wow. a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you would, <laughs> you'd never so run out of wine. We've got a bit of spiritual. We've got a bit of campaigning and freedom. And we've got a great singer. Crikey. There you go. That's amazing. I wonder how many laughs there'd be, though, Carrie. You'd have to provide the laughs, I think. Yeah, and we'd have a lot of food. All we'd need is two fish and five loaves, and we'd have a whole feast. You're sorted. Don't, <laughs> don't drink and drive. Food, aren't we? Yeah, just just no drinking and driving, Kerry. That would be, uh, you know. No, I don't drink. Actually, I stopped drinking three or four years ago. How are you getting on? Yeah, it's really good. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I just just sort of happened overnight. I was like, right, that's it. I'm stopping. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. That's a great drive, and what a location as well. I, I commend you on the choice of road as well. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been up? Have you been up there at all? It's so nice. Uh, it's a stunning. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Yeah, Every, yeah. You turn a corner and it's like, oh my gosh, here is a lock. And and just the scenes, especially on a sunny day when the mist has, has risen, it's just outstanding. If Scotland had Spanish weather, it would be the most populated place on earth. <laughs> That's true. But then it would be yeah. ruined. So, you know, it would be, yeah, it exactly. We'd have ruined that. It would just be flattened, wouldn't it? Be yeah. Top of the flat. yeah. 
exactly, exactly. Oh, Carrie, <laughs> you've you've been the most incredible company. I thank you so much for your time today. It's it's been oh, thank you. so rewarding. Thank you so much. The Andy J Podcast. 